welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary, and this week we are doing our second book club episode and talking about Julie Kenner's California Demon, the second book in the Adventures of a Demon Hunting Soccer Mom series. So I only have one announcement this week. Next week is our final episode of the season and our season debrief, which we'll talk a little bit more about at the end of this episode. After that, we'll be on hiatus for a few weeks and we'll return the first week of August. So with that out of the way, I have the answers to what you all thought the other characters experienced during the episode (laughs) Nightmares. Yep. Um, So funny enough, for Angel, Joyce, and Jenny, 90% of the answers were the same. So almost everyone thought Angel's nightmare would be something involving Angelus, Angelus resurfacing, Angelus killing Buffy. Oh, well, we know how that turns out. (laughs) We do know how that turns out. Um, Everyone, everyone 100% said Joyce's fear was Buffy being killed. Something happening to Buffy. Someone even suggested that maybe she would see Buffy's grave in the same manner Giles did. Yeah, you know what? As a parent... That probably is my worst nightmare, too. Something happening to my kid. Yeah. I mean, we also saw it, and not to give another horrible person some credit, but, you know, Mrs. Weasley's Bogart is the dead bodies of her children. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So, like, it's a very, it it makes complete sense that that would be what Joyce would be experiencing. Yep. And we know how poor Mrs. Weasley had it happen to her. I know. And Jenny, of course, everyone said that maybe it had something to do with a lot of people. Well, yeah, a lot of people said it had something to do with Angelus, you know, her failing her people being found out and someone even suggested it might have been a vision of her future death oh yeah that makes sense too way to break my heart person thank you so the two that had some super fun answers are Snyder and Harmony. Oh, good. I have something about Snyder, too. Okay. So <laughs> let's do, we'll do him first then. Yeah. So Snyder, they said it's either being eaten or <laughs> being eaten by a giant snake. <laughs> yeah. Um, being surrounded by students who refuse to listen and or obey. But isn't that his reality? I was going to say, that's like his every day. He's a waking nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, being surrounded by his old classmates and humiliated. Being sued. What? <laughs> <laughs> I liked that one. I like that being one. Forced, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being forced to relive his teenage years or just absolute anarchy and the students rioting. Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty good, too. No, I still think that everything being under construction, I think that was his nightmare. I mean, it would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, just think of the bills piling the, up. <laughs> the budget, the, you know, the and again, anarchy, because if the school's under construction, what are the kids doing? The kids don't know where they're going. What is That's even right. happening? I mean, I've seen I've seen what happens when a school is under construction and it is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> And then for Harmony, people suggested stuff like being in the wrong clothes at the wrong time. A giant-sized Cordelia stomping around trying to step on her <laughs> while all her classmates laughed. Oh, Harmony. Having her root show. Ooh. And all the stores being closed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor Harmony. So I, li- I liked those. I think, I I like, think yeah. those were pretty good. I, and I, I think like- a lot of them were like totally spot on. Yeah, no, I like the idea of, of Harmony's nightmare being a giant Cordelia. <laughs> Right? I love that. I was like, I could totally see that. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, so... 
California Demon, written by Julie Kenner. It was published in July of 2006, or so my paperback copy tells me. And the synopsis this week, we're going to take straight from the back of the book. What's a mother to do when there are only so many hours in the day and the fate of the world is in her hands? Kate Connor was a retired demon hunter. Now, after 14 years busting her tail as a suburban housewife, raising two kids and supporting her husband's political ambitions, she's rejoined the workforce. And except for a few minions of evil, no one has a clue. She tries hard to keep her home and work life separate, a good idea when your job involves random slaughter. Between fending off demon attacks, trying to figure out why the mysterious new teacher at the high school seems so strangely familiar, hmm. and keeping an eye on her daughter's growing infatuation with a surfer dude, Kate is the busiest and most dangerous soccer mom on the block. Ooh, I don't know how she does it. Right? Kate is like oh superwoman. I was I was stressed out for her. Just <laughs> it's bad enough when you got a kid, but when you have a toddler and a high schooler and demons and all the other shit that's going on. I I, I was ve- I also was very stressed. Oh my god! This book. I'm like okay. Although I, I mean, feelings. having having been a parent, one of the things that stressed me out the most is the fact that she carries little tubs of play doh in her purse. I thought that was brilliant, but yes, I could see why. <laughs> we don't it's even Play-Doh play is- with play doh in our house. Like carrying oh. a little tub to just take out randomly—that's <laughs> stressful. <laughs> I mean, fair. Fair. There are rules in my mom's house. Play-Doh is only to be played with in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. We we have to have newspaper down on the floor if there is going to be Play-Doh because yes. that stuff gets in the carpet and it is disgusting. No, it's awful. No glitter. No glitter at all. That's banned. Craft herpes. Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> So when I started my notes for this episode, I made a little space for like a recap session just to go over the main points in the first book. But um, the first three pages of chapter one actually does that pretty nicely. Yeah, no, this was the first one that I quote unquote read. I listened to the audiobook while I was working and I didn't feel lost at all. Like she she really did well recapping what went on in the first book, which I will go back and again, quote unquote, read. Quote unquote. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I just, I can't do audiobooks. I get lost. I know. I know. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But my job is so boring that it was really, it's a really good way to waste some time. As the first few pages remind us, Kate Connors, once retired, now active level four demon hunter, raised, taught, and trained by the Vatican. Uh, she's part of a secret organization known as the Forza Scura or the Dark Force. Her first marriage was to a fellow demon hunter, Eric. Together, they had a daughter, Allie. Eric died, and Kate eventually remarried Stuart. They had Timmy. Her retired status abruptly ended when a demon known as Goremesh entered her town, San Diablo, looking for the Lazarus bones. She, along with her best friend, Laura, and other hunter, Eddie, managed to stop him. Kate then chose to stay active, fighting against the rise in demon activity. So when this book opens, we find Kate at Coastal Mist Retirement Home, helping to decorate for Christmas. Uh, You see, the retirement home was once overrun by demons, and their human pets. It's where she found Eddie, you'll remember. So of course she went in and cleaned house. But to do so, she needed a cover and that cover was volunteering. Something she still does as keeping a presence in a place with a high mortality rate isn't a bad idea. Remember, in this verse, in this world, demons aren't just like walking around willy-nilly. They have to possess people and they tend to possess bodies at the exact moment of death, making it seem as if the victim never died at all. Very interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I love the explanation of like all those things you see in the news where it's like, like this person yeah. wasn't expected to survive and it's like mm, they're a demon. Yeah, yeah, and I like how how um Kate is going to connect that 
with things happening. Like, that's a great, like, that's something that, you know, you can kind of see even um, with the Scoobies, like sitting down, like, okay, let's find, like, so, yeah, like, that's an interesting research point that can be done in this universe. Yes. But we do learn something in the first part of this chapter that I do believe is new information. I don't think it was brought up in the last book because we were told Eric died, but we were never told how. Mm -hmm. And we now know that it was apparently a brutal mugging. And Kate reflects on this as she watches her son entertain the gang of Coastal Mists, her surge of mommy pride, having a side effect of her feeling guilty that Timmy has his dad while Allie lost hers. Also, she says there's not a day goes by that she doesn't feel an Eric-shaped hole in her heart. You guys are going to hear me just do this through this whole episode like I did through the whole life. I love Eric. I love Eric with every fiber of my being. I love Kate and Eric. I need like 4,000 prequels about their relationship. And we're recording this on Father's Day, so... And we're recording this on Father's Day, so just break my fucking heart into pieces. Uh, But speaking of Allie, it's family day at the high school. The one day, apparently, that Kate's presence at the school will not be a major embarrassment. (laughs) And where Kate and Laura are supposed to be heading, as Allie warned her mother several times not to be late. After a quick phone call with her husband, Stuart, Kate is all set heading that way, with just enough time to pick up the cupcakes. That is, until she sees the bus waiting in the Coastal Miss parking lot. Seems a field trip to the high school is planned, and one of the people going just may be a demon. According to several nurses, Dermot Sinclair should barely be up and about, let alone going on a field trip, having just woken up from a coma. This all sounds very suspicious to Kate, because, you know, remember we said about demons sneaking in at the moment of death? And so she resolves to get on that bus, as it's the only way to find out if Dermot is a demon and still make it to family day on time and possibly avoid tackling someone in the gym. (laughs) Making sure Laura is okay handling Timmy, Kate heads out onto the bus, only to find herself face-to-face with her human nemesis, Marissa Cartwright. Okay, you all remember Marissa? Marissa was the one from the last book whose daughter, Danielle, I wanted to like bitch slap. Oh my God. Because she was the one who took Boo Bear and I was just like, "Mm, this child. I didn't listen to the last one because I didn't want any spoilers, but yeah. Oh my God. I hate Marissa so, so much. And the thing is, this is why I don't join the PTA is because of Marissa's. (laughs) I want to get involved in school, but I hate hate i hate those pta moms so much and in my area there are so many marissas and they're so gatekeepery and i just can't do it <laughs> marissa is the helen of santiago oh she's awful. oh she's awful she's awful uh the majority of the bus ride is spent trying to figure out the best way to identify mr sinclair and make sure that he is in fact a demon she opts for holy water as in the end it's one of the only sure ways to know aside from you know making a stop off at the cathedral besides kate being a mom and a hunter always comes prepared having a vial of holy water on her. Now the question becomes how to get the holy water onto Mr. Sinclair. She uses the guise of roll call to figure out who he is and decides to use both Hershey kisses and baby wipes to deploy the holy water. It's an elaborate ruse, but it works. Offering Mr. Sinclair chocolate, she then pretends to bump into him, smearing some on his arm right at the arrive at the high school. Now all she has to do is get the others off the bus, and she has an excuse to stay behind, offering to help him clean up. The others file off, and Kate is just about to administer the final test when her cell rings. Allie. And she doesn't really want to take it, but part of being a demon hunter is having mad mommy paranoia. And what if something's wrong? You don't even need to be a demon hunter to have mad mommy paranoia. Right? Does any time a child calls you when they're not supposed to 
be calling you. It's cause to worry. Again, I appreciate Kate and her preparedness. Mary and Dylan and (laughs) anybody else who has spent any amount of time with me knows that I am prepared for the inevitable. I even have snacks in my purse because I know that my tiny children that I love are going to get cranky. I have literally shoved goldfish and nut bars into people's faces because they started to get cranky. This is true. All yeah. true. Yeah. No, I have I have wet wipes. I have bottles of water. No, I am always prepared because I know my children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mary can't even. <laughs> I can't. I can't. You. I, I, yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. How many times at that's... Awesome Con? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just Whoa. eat this bag of goldfish. <laughs> Get down of here. Eat the goldfish. Okay. <laughs> Turns out, nothing is wrong. Quite the opposite. Allie won the essay contest she entered, and they want her to read her entry at the program. She's almost there, right? Kate assures her she's five, maybe ten minutes from being there. She's trying to get Allie off the phone, hoping to disconnect the call before she hits Mr. Sinclair's skin with the holy water-infused wipe. Before that can happen, he lunges for her, knocking the phone from her hand. They fight. She slaps the wipe onto his skin and gets her confirmation. He's a demon. One telling her that she has no chance, that their numbers are rising right before taking off in the direction of the high school. Kate follows. And just so much of this chapter reminds me of Buffy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... And I mean, it's just like the whole plot is this and and it's something like it's right there on the book that they're just like, this is what would happen if Buffy grew up. And yeah. it's, but See, it's, it's just got particular yeah. because Kate goes tearing into the gym, looking at Mr. Sinclair as everyone wonders what the fuck is wrong with her. <laughs> and the whole vibe I got from it was Buffy running out into the court during the basketball game. Yep, yep. Exactly. And, and this just this just goes back to one of the things I love about Kate and I love about these books. Um, I don't know if it's intentional. It's it's definitely something that when and if my dream comes true and we, we get Lily Kenner <laughs> yeah. like ever to be on this show, hopefully next season we'll see. Um, you know, Kate does feel like this natural successor to Buffy. Yes. Like Buffy was the hero I related to in my teenage years. And now as an adult, I super relate to Kate. Probably not as much as someone like Froggy does because I do not have children. (laughs) But I I mean, I I feel Kate. When I I first read these books back when they were first published, I only made it through the first four. So when we, we get to the final ones, I will actually be reading them for the first time. I wasn't the same age as Kate, but now rereading them, I am literally the same age Kate is in these first couple of books. Yeah, yeah. Same here, because it's like seeing her, I can put myself in her position. Like it's so, (laughs) and then same thing with, like you said, with Buffy, like when you're a teenager and I was exactly Buffy's age through the series. So I felt like Buffy was growing up and I was aging with her. And now with Kate, I can feel that whole thing that she has where she doesn't know what she's going to do, how she's going to balance everything. Yeah. It's, it's totally relatable. And I just, I love that about this. Yeah. And I love the fact that also like she keeps all this stuff in her purse and Buffy has all the stuff in her bag that she's constantly dropping. Everyone is just taking advantage of the, of the bag. Exactly. Exactly. You don't know what I'm carrying in my purse. It's not weapons. Don't kick me out of any stores. I'm not going to get into any trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But what if there's a demon? I already have demons and I can't slay them but I can slay their hunger. That's true. (laughs) I love you, Mary. I love you too. And I love you, Dylan. (laughs) Yeah, we do love Dylan, even though he's not here today. 
Not seeing Sinclair in the gym, she races down the hall with the excuse she needs to pee. She checks out a few <laughs> classrooms before turning a corner and running smack into her daughter, who has been freaking out ever since Kate's line went dead. Kate assures Allie she's fine, not noticing until about halfway through their conversation that they have a bystander. David Long, the chemistry teacher, and someone who gives off an odd air of familiarity. Almost like Kate has met him before, but can't place where. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Allie tells Kate that the moment her line went dead, she went to find David, and that next semester, she'll be taking David's intro to chemistry class. A fact that surprises Kate. While she knows Allie is bright, she never figured her for a laboratory science kind. And it's then she realizes that her daughter has a schoolgirl crush on David, which Kate is fine with. After all, it's getting Allie to take chemistry, and she trusts David to act appropriately. If he doesn't, she'll meet him in a dark alley, which reminds her. (laughs) Allie tries to drag her towards the gym, as Kate says there's one more thing she has to do. Allie looks ready to question that, but David comes to Kate's aid, saying that as a member of the PTA, she probably has a million little projects to do. He'll go with Allie to the gym, and she can meet them there. Listen, I too would have had a crush on David in high school. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I can see it. I'm pretty sure I liked him immediately upon reading the book, even without knowing where this was going. Yeah, yeah, even like, even before like you start to think shady things are happening, even before you find out what the twist is, I definitely would have done the same thing. I would have had a crush on him. And I love chemistry, but there's too much math. Ugh, way too much math. I know. It's so much fun. Like, I just want to add shit together and make it explode. (laughs) Don't make me do math. (laughs) I just want to throw things in a beaker and see what happens. I know. Look at the colors. It turns pretty colors. (laughs) (sighs) Stupid math. Stupid math. Kate continues her hunt, ending at what she thinks is the janitor's closet. The door open just a tad. Her gut tells her that this is where Sinclair is. And her gut is not wrong. The door, it turns out, leads to a basement, and Sinclair is down there chipping away at some brick. Basements! Major, major Buffy vibes. Demon wanting something that lay beneath the high school. Yeah. Yep, high school basements. Nothing good happens in a high school basement. Nothing good happens in a high school basement. Kate confronts him in the two fight. Kate's weaponry alternating between a screwdriver she grabbed on the way down and a broken Christmas ornament she found in her purse. <laughs> Something most likely put there by Timmy. Yeah, that In happens. the end, Kate wins, driving the screwdriver into Sinclair's eye. She then goes to see just what Sinclair is after. At first, the hole he was making in the wall seems empty. But after a moment, Kate feels it the spine of a book lodged between two stones. She pulls it out to find an old leather-bound tome, its title reduced to nothing but gold flecks. Nothing about it seems overly demonic, but Kate rather be safe than sorry. So with the holy water-soaked baby wipe on hand, she opens the book to find nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's a diary. The book is blank. Oh, it could be a diary! (laughs) It's a diary. It's a diary. It's a creepy old diary. wonder whose diary. Oh. With no cleanup crew at her disposal, Forza having been short-staffed for years, Kate is forced to tidy up the scene, arrange the body, and wipe away any traces of her fingerprints. Normally, she'd also try to dispose of the body, but right now, that isn't happening. The best she can do is make it so that when his body was discovered, it would look like he died by some horrible accident. Satisfied with the setup, she slides the book into her purse and throws her cardigan over it, as the book is a bit too tall to fit neatly in said purse. Then you she heads back upstairs. Uh, she, uh, she, you'd think she would have a big purse. Yeah, you've seen, you've seen the size of my purse. I could fit a huge old tome in my purses. 
She then heads back upstairs, hoping to sneak into the assembly just in time. But since the universe seems to hate Kate as much as it (laughs) hates all of us, she runs into David. Instead of going on the defensive, she decides to joke around with him, asking him where his hall pass is, and telling him that she may have to give him detention. It's an easy conversation, the banter between them flowing freely, and when he hooks his thumbs in the front pocket of his pants, Kate is instantly taken back to the memory of Eric. Talking to him, it's like talking to Eric. And it hurts. But she reminds herself that a lot of people are easy to talk to. That several people have similar mannerisms. And besides, now he's asking her why she isn't in the gym. Simple, she got lost. He directs her to the gym, saying he has a few more sweeps to do, make sure none of the students are skipping the assembly. She fears he may check the basement, but as she has no logical reason to follow, she heads towards the assembly. And it's a good thing, too, as Eddie meets her at the door, telling Kate that their girl was getting anxious, thinking Kate was going to miss everything. Hmm? I love Eddie so much. I love Eddie. That's actually the next point in my notes. I love Eddie. (laughs) I love how much Eddie loves being a part of Kate's family. I know. Um, we, we get a brief reminder of the cover story involving Eddie, how she'd been passing him off as Eric's grandfather. <laughs> Something she's like 90% sure isn't true, but as yeah. she and Eric were both orphans. Yeah, no, I just love that it's like, okay, he's part of our family now. Oh, he's Eric's grandfather. We're going to go with that and nobody can question it because <laughs> who's going to question it? Yeah, who's going to question it? Yeah. And I mean, the, the whole, like, her, like, she, her small bit of, like, she likes to think that maybe the universe brought her some family, and especially that it brought Allie some, because, yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, Stuart's family is is spectacular, and it's been, you know, made known, like, 10,000 times over that Stuart and his parents have never treated Allie any differently than Timmy, like, Stuart adores her. Yeah. But, you know, she, she was old enough to know when Kate got remarried that, like, these are Timmy's biological grandparents. They're not hers. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where when you come to a blended family, it is going to be hard. And like no amount of we love you and we accept you and you're part of the family can break that, that there's something missing from your life. So that's why I love love uh, Eddie so much. He's just and he's funny. Like he he's hysterical. I I keep trying to think of who I would cast as Eddie and (laughs) I keep going to Ed Asner. That's a good one. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But we'll have to, I don't know if that's we'll just the name or what. <laughs> yeah. No. He's, I was he's also good. trying to think about that. So like maybe when we do the third book, we'll have to do our fan cast list. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that as I was like preparing my notes today. I was like, who would I cast as everyone? And yeah, I mean, I know we talked about it. And I know, like, we've settled on Evangeline Lily for Kate. So I keep wanting to put Paul Rudd as David. And I'm like, is that just because <laughs> we're using Evangeline Lily, like, as our mental picture of Kate? Yeah, or would Paul yeah. Rudd actually be good for David? Yeah, we'll have to talk about that yeah. in our so chat when later. we do the third book, we'll have to, we'll yeah. have to prepare a little fan cast list. Yes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> Kate heads in with him and ignoring Marissa trying to flag her down. Bye, bitch. I would ignore her anyway. She heads up into the bleachers to sit with Allie, Laura, Eddie, and Timmy. Stuart, she notices, isn't there. And neither is Laura's husband slash Mindy's father, Paul. But that doesn't surprise her. Paul often works up in LA, and Laura has recently begun suspecting Paul is having an affair. Well, Stuart, however, swore he would be there, and Kate is pissed. And not just a little pissed. Hella pissed. Her anger turns to melancholy, though, as Allie takes the stage to read her award-winning essay. Because she loves Stuart. 
but it's not Stuart she wants beside her right now. It's Eric. Eric who's missed so much. Who missed cheerleading tryouts and teenage crushes, scaring boys and setting curfews. And she almost feels sorry for him dying when he did. She recognizes that his death, the fact that her husband, the love of her life, the man who could fell supernatural creatures in one swoop was taken out by a nine millimeter pistol has made things all the harder extended the grieving process and she just wishes he could be there but she also guiltily is kind of glad that if one of them had to die it was him and not her oh don't make me cry kate stop it it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a ridiculous book don't make me cry so much at the end of this book by the way yeah i was getting a little i was getting a little choked up too like our final conversation we'll get there but that final conversation i just i'm like crying i'm like that is just say the thing and the whole like but but like her whole thought process through the whole thing with david oh so good and so sad and so stop making me feel feelings (laughs) so many feelings julie is just so good at that like i feel so many feelings when i read this book i know but i read like when i read the first book too and i'm sure i will feel more feelings as we go through the series the assembly ends and Stuart still isn't there. Allie runs over showing them the check she got, $500. Eddie tells her to take it and run. And if <laughs> anyone tries to say anything about educational savings, she should shoot first and ask questions later. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was like that's like the most grandparent thing to say oh, ever. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like when they give you when they give you money like like don't let anybody tell you that you have to spend it on educational things. Just run away. <laughs> Allie immediately starts in on Kate about wanting an iPod. And after a few minutes of trying to be stern, a.k.a. responsible mom, she caves. It is Allie's money after all. Allie is thrilled while Timmy just wants a cookie. I feel Timmy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather have a cookie than an iPod, too. Well, now, but in 2006. Well, yes, that's true. (laughs) Kate is in the process of trying to get him one when Marissa reappears. Not impressed with Kate's performance as a chaperone. Kate tells Marissa it looks like she has it all handled. The Coastal Mist residents either sitting on the bleachers or talking with some of the high school kids. Everyone's happy. Marissa mentions Sinclair being missing and Kate feigns surprise. She thought Sinclair was with her. What? No. He stayed behind on the bus with Kate. Yes, and then he hurried off to join them. She assumed he was with Marissa. Before Marissa can say anything else, Kate throws her arms around Allie's shoulder and promises to keep an eye out for Sinclair as she and Allie make the rounds. The rounds are when Allie begins asking about Stuart. He promised. He swore he'd be there. So where is he? Allie wants to call him afraid he's lost. But as Kate already called him from Laura's cell phone earlier and got his voicemail, she tries to stall. Doing so until it reaches a lever where it would be ridiculous to stall any longer. And besides, why not let Stuart face the consequences of his action? So telling Allie she can call, they're just about to do that when Mindy runs up. Extreme dead guy in the basement! (laughs) I just thought of the line from Welcome to the Hellmouth and Troll in the Dungeon when I got to this part. Class is canceled due to the extreme dead guy in the locker. (laughs) Apparently, though, we don't cancel anything when there's an extreme dead guy in the basement. Uh, Well, you know what? (laughs) It's the basement. And it seems like the day was ending because, like, Allie does go home with her mom, so. Yeah, so, yeah, it seems like this whole assembly was at the end of the day, so. Sorry, everybody, no getting out of class due to this dead guy. Nope. Mindy, who's on the school paper, wants to go check it out, but Laura stops her with a (laughs) Woodward and Bernstein reference. (laughs) 
which I just I love so much. I love Especially it. when Kate's like, if I try to go, are you gonna call me Bernstein? Yeah, I love I love that line so much. And I you love the fact that the kids just don't. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone else who might not get it, Woodward, of course, refers to Bob Woodward, who started working for the Washington Post in 1971. In 1972, he teamed up with fellow journalist Carl Bernstein, the two of them doing most of the reporting on the Watergate scandal. Their work has been called maybe the single greatest reporting effort of our time. The girls now waylaid. Laura and Kate leave Timmy with Eddie, or rather, Eddie volunteers to stay with Timmy, and head out into the hall to see what the word is. Do they believe it's an accident or are the cops going to be looking for someone? (laughs) According to David, who they run into near the police tape, it was a heart attack. The same thing Sinclair suffered before the demon took over? Great. At least when it comes to this body, Kate is in the clear. Now to worry about the book and the evil plot brewing. Still at the assembly, Kate and Eddie stand off to the side as Eddie tries to think of who else could be a demon. Kate doesn't think any are right now, but if something's going down, then they may start hanging around again, which means she's going to need to increase the amount of time she spends at Coastal Mists. She asks Eddie if he wants to go along, and he says, never again. (laughs) There, you know, considering he was held and tortured there. But if she wants to set him up, Eddie then asks where the book is, and Kate assures him it's safe and sound in the van, Laura having snuck out there after they left the crime scene. Laura returns, giving Kate a thumbs up sign and heading for the snack table, the same place Kate herself is headed as she realizes all she's had to eat the day was part of Timmy's ego. (laughs) At the snack table, she's set upon by several parents and the vice principal, all wanting to tell her how very talented her daughter is. Everyone that is except Stuart. She calls again, it goes to voicemail, and Kate tries not to throw the phone, which is when David appears holding a plate of food. A plate of, a plate of food that includes not one, but two Krispy Kreme donuts. He asks if there's a problem, and Kate says not if he brought that food for her. If he did, then all her problems have magically disappeared. And uh, fair. I love David. Krispy Kreme solves a lot of problems. I love David so much. I know, I know. God, and now I want... I want Krispy Kremes. I wanted Krispy Kremes last night because there were Krispy Kremes in the Buffy episode that we watched. Krispy Kreme is just making the rounds. They banter a bit, Kate offering to erect a statue in David's honor. He calls her Mrs. Connor, and she tells him to call her Kate. That bringing her food definitely put him on a first-name basis. That's when he calls her Katie, which is just a step too far, as only those really close to her call her Katie. Father Corletti, Stuart, Eddie, and Eric. To Eric, she had always been Katie. And the way David said it, she's working on recovery when she sees the teacher pop a breath mint. Not normally suspicious. <laughs> but still, is there any way this familiarity could be because David is a demon? Ooh. It's a little worrying, especially with him being in such close proximity to Allie. Which leads her to ask if Allie is already taking his class. No, no, no. That's next semester. Though he does wonder if the shine of laboratory science won't wear off by then. Okay, but then how does Allie know him so well? That's because of his other role at school, head of the surf club. Kate is surprised about that as she is about Allie wanting to take chemistry. Allie is interested in surfing? More like Allie is interested in surfers. This is where it reminds me that we're in Southern California, that there's a surf club. (laughs) There's a surf club. Yeah. Besides. All the cheerleaders are helping with the charity exhibition. Did Allie not mention that to her? They're even getting a celebrity guest, some surfer who goes by cool. Oh, David cool. is not impressed, which makes Kate like him even more. <laughs> Though she still doesn't entirely trust him. I have Kate or Kaylin her- in my brain for cool. Cool? Oh, yes. Every time, every time they mention cool, I just got the image of Kato Kaylin because Kato Kaylin is the quintessential. Soco looking dude. 
Yeah, I could also see what's his face. The one shit. The one who was in Harry Potter who played like the douchey Quidditch player. Oh, the blonde guy. Yeah, yeah. No, it is completely. He also would be good for cool. Yeah. For a moment, her gaze goes to Allie, standing with some of her friends and some boys, and she wishes she had been able to have a normal childhood. But at least she's giving her daughter one. David asks if she's okay, and she asks him if he has kids. Aside from his hundred and some odd students, no. No, he doesn't. It's strange, but Kate wonders if she doesn't detect a slight hesitation there. It's small, minuscule. She could totally have imagined it, but still. She asks if the boys standing with Allie are the boys of the surf club, and David confirms they are. Troy is apparently the one everyone, including Allie, likes. Troy. Kate frowns. How did she not know any of this? <laughs> the surf club, the exhibition, Troy, nothing. She doesn't get to be upset for too long, though, because soon both the PTA and Marissa are looking for her. PTA moms want to know if Kate can help wrap up the leftovers, while Marissa reminds Kate of her volunteer duties. It's time to get everyone on the bus. And don't worry if people seem standoffish with her. She's sure the other residents don't blame her for what happened to Sinclair. I'm going to need Marissa to get run over by this bus. Oh, she she needs to just go away. I hate her so much. Kate says she just needs to make sure Laura can take her kids home, and Marissa tells her don't bother. She and Kelly can handle it, but Kate owes her, and she will call for it to be fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, taking the out, Kate heads home. At the house, Laura wants to know what the big deal with the book is. She took a peek, and it's blank. Kate's not sure. She's put in calls to Father Ben and Father Corletti, but hasn't heard back from either. This is where we find out Father Ben is active as a provisional elementatore, basically training in the role alongside Kate. They're not even sure if he was taking the book out. He could have been putting it back in. He didn't have it on the bus, but someone could have passed it to him. Someone like David, maybe? No, no, she's not going down that route. Not yet. She asks Laura if she and Mindy are staying for dinner. A normal occurrence. But two seconds later, the sound of the garage door can be heard. Stuart. Laura says she thinks she and Mindy will order pizza and call it a girl's night. Stuart comes in and he knows Kate is pissed. He apologizes and she asks if it was worth it. At least he's aware. At least he's self-aware. He's very self-aware. Yeah, yeah. That was one thing. Like, he was pissing me off so much. But at least he is aware of his mistakes. Like, he's not trying to play it off and... Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Monetarily, yes. Missing out on family time and having her mad at him? No. (laughs) She makes it clear he needs to make things right with Allie. He knows. He bought her roses. A move that goes a long way with Kate, because he knows he fucked up and that the baby girl needs something special. He also is going to go to the mall with Allie tomorrow, do some of Kate's Christmas shopping, and get Allie the iPod she wants. Wait, what? When did they say she could have an iPod? I love this. I love Kate's. Well, if you have a problem with it, you should have said something at the assembly. I, yes, I love this moment with Kate so much. She's like, oh, okay, you want to play this game? Well, I'm going to play this game too. And I'm going to remind you that there's a reason why you're taking our daughter to the mall tomorrow. And even if I didn't want her to buy the iPod before, well, now she can definitely buy the iPod. I just, I love it. I love it. And I'm just like, that's right, Kate. You tell him. You tell him. He argues no more and goes to see Allie. After dinner, he plays a game with Timmy, gives him a bath, puts him to bed, giving Kate a little bit of a break. And the gesture is enough that when he returns downstairs, 
all is pretty much forgiven. Kate letting Stuart lead her off to bed. The next morning, Kate is awoken by Timmy, who now that he has graduated from crib to toddler bed is loving his freedom. Goes to wake Stuart, deciding he should also partake in his being awake at 7am joy to find out he's already out of bed. Out of bed and making pancakes? A rarity, but one Kate is going to enjoy. Seems Stuart is working overtime to get himself out of the (laughs) doghouse. Of course, to make said pancakes, Stuart needs the skillet, which is in the cabinet where Kate hid the book. So Kate heads downstairs to get it for him, claiming he might disrupt her organizational system. While breakfast is being made, Kate suggests that maybe Stuart could also take Timmy to the mall. You know, get him completely out of the doghouse. Unfortunately, it's a no-go, as Stuart will have to go into the office at some point. And will it really be screwing up her morning to have Timmy at home? Well, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But she's not about to say that. So she tells him, no, it won't, that she can make it work, before suggesting they get Allie up and moving as the mall opens at 10. Stuart also tells Kate why he was late the day before. Seems Tabitha Danvers came to see him. Danvers! Of the Danvers Museum, which according to Kate is to San Diablo what the Getty is to Los Angeles. And if anyone wants to see photos of the Getty, check out Jackie's Instagram at 123JackieB, as she said last week, because she is actually a very frequent visitor of the Getty. I love, I love those pictures. They're so nice. It is. I've never been to the Getty. We keep meaning to. So maybe, maybe my next trip out to California, we'll get out there. I've never been to California, so I can't have been to the Getty. She's considering investing in Stuart's campaign. But first, Stuart needs a favor. No worries. He doesn't need Kate to throw a party. Just come with him to one. A benefit at the museum tomorrow night. Apparently, Tabitha thinks it will be good for Stuart to meet and greet. Kate reluctantly agrees. At the cathedral, Father Ben doesn't have a ton of solid news for Kate, but he does have a theory. One he pieced together with Father Corletti when they spoke. The book, they think... Maybe the Malavolinamachia, the the Malavolinamachia demonica, or the demon's malicious struggle. Much like the African Covenant, and yes, they do reference the movie, is a way of speaking directly to God. This book is a way of communicating directly with demons, specifically those demons imprisoned in Tartarus, bound in chains, the worst of the worst. And as the text of the book disappears once read, they have no idea if it's been used yet or what was or what was set. All they know is it's bad, like worse than Goranesh bad. Because chances are one of those demons is using the book to orchestrate an escape plan. When they have at least stalled for now, the book's safe in the altar, as the altar is infused with bones of saints and therefore even more secure than the church's vault. Heading home, Kate fills Eddie in. He's never heard of the book, but he's willing to help. As kicking a little demon ass always puts a smile on his face. (laughs) She drops him off at the library, then heads off to run some errands, like getting a new phone and going to the grocery store. However, she has Timmy. The grocery store part ends up being Nick's, but he won't stop touching things. Oh, I've been there. Every parent knows this struggle. (laughs) And I know what you're thinking, Froggy, and Shavi with me is not that bad. Um... If I'm, I'm just, sober, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, no. When we've when we've gone shopping under the influence, actually, that one that one time when Yumi and Dylan went, and we weren't even drunk. Oh, that one, that one was fine. That was before the snowstorm. That was the, that was the last time that we were together. I think. Yeah, before the pandemic. Yeah, and no, and then the guy, the uh, the guy at the checkout was like, "I want to have what you guys had." Like, I we don't even have anything. You are having. <laughs> you can't have as much fun as we're having. It's impossible. They go home again to find the house empty. The car in the garage, meaning Stuart is not yet home. Kate knew he was never getting Allie out of the mall quickly. She sets Timmy up in front of the TV with. Frosty, 
When something starts bothering her, a nagging feeling that says they're not in the house alone. She tries to ignore it, but it won't go away. And with it being her home, where her family lives, better safe than sorry. She convinces Timmy to go to Laura's with the promise of ice cream and Frosty, and then heads back to check the house. The first thing that strikes her is the TV is playing Jimmy Neutron, a show she knows well enough to sing along with. Only she didn't leave the TV on. Grabbing an ice pick from the kitchen and making sure to be very quiet while doing it, she heads upstairs noticing other signs of disturbance as she goes along. Almost like someone was searching for something. The book, maybe? She checks the various rooms, and it's in Timmy's room when she hears the the steady thump, thump, thump coming from elsewhere in the house. Actually coming from Allie's room next door. She heads towards it, and bam! Allie! With headphones on. Allie screams. Kate screams. (laughs) We scream. (laughs) We scream. And Allie is wondering why the hell her mom would attempt to confront a burglar. Go outside. Call 911. That's what they tell her to do. God, mom. With an ice pick. With an ice pick. Feeling a bit better, Kate heads back downstairs. She was going to claim Timmy right away, but decides to leave him there while she calls Father Ben, just to see if he's learned anything new in the last few hours. She's just about to pick up the phone when she notices the pantry askew, a sign that Cabot, their cat, is most likely in there gorging himself on cat food. (laughs) She decides to open the door to shoo Cabot out and demon! Demon in the pantry! Thank God Allie is hooked up to headphones because they battle it out in the kitchen, the demon wanting the book, before Kate finally uses the ice pick to stab them in the eye, releasing the demon, leaving a dead body in her kitchen that she needs to dispose of before her daughter comes down. I love this scene because it would be so great in a movie where it's going back and forth between Allie in her room listening to the headphones and Kate battling the demon and like whatever Allie's listening to is the music that's playing in this scene. Like it would just be such a great moment. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I need Netflix to like pick this up as a series. I know like, cause it could be, it could be so cheesy and fun. Like, you know what? Like I feel like um a little bit like Santa Clarita diet. Yes. Where it's that kind of cheese, but like it toes the line. Yeah. They need to hire Especially us. Especially because there's like, there's so much like emotional stuff in it. Yeah. It just, it'd be so good. It'd be so good. Come on, Netflix. Okay. We need to, we need to make friends, good friends with Julie. Yes. Step one, friend Julie. Step two, get Netflix to throw some of their stick to the wall money at us. Step three, Step question three. mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Step four, profit. I, exactly. We're here. We are, we're on it. We got it. We're here. Yes. She attempts to hide the body, but she is interrupted not once, but twice. The first time, Allie apparently did hear something, but not enough that she totally believes Kate's lie about dropping a cookie sheet. And the second time by Laura, who was starting to get worried. Kate says she has the situation under control, but if Laura wants to help, cue Kate and Laura moving a tarp-wrapped body into the trunk of Paul's Lexus. Kate is hesitant to do so because, you know, they could still leave trace amounts in the trunk. But Laura says it's fine. Paul gets put away for murder. Well, you know, then at least she knows where he's sleeping every night. (laughs) Right. Never question a pissed off wife. I I love Laura. Laura. So much. (laughs) The plan is to, after dark, take her up to the cathedral and Father Ben, who has come up with a pretty good disposal system. The crypts below the church. Yes, it leaves the family of those that the demons inhabited wondering what happened to them. But as too many bodies laying around with jabbed out eyeballs would lead to questions, they really don't have another choice. 
They've just gotten the body in the trunk when Allie comes into the garage, startling them both. (laughs) She's a bit suspicious of what they're doing back there and why Laura even bothered to bring over a car. But Kate uses the upcoming holiday to play it off, leaving Allie to believe they're doing something secretive with Christmas presents, something she totally buys. And oh, hey, that reminds her, the whole reason she came to find her mom in the first place is someone left a package for her on the front porch. For her? Kate's a bit surprised. Who would ever... It looks about the size of a cell phone, so maybe it was someone returning it? Or it could be a Christmas present from the neighbors. Allie wants her to immediately open it and refuses to let up until she does. (laughs) Inside is a key. A small silver key with numbers on it. Like, to a safety deposit box. For Allie, this is something right out of 24 or alias, and she thinks her mom (laughs) should head to the bank immediately. So does Kate, actually, but she's not telling Allie that. But it's cool, because soon Troy calls and Allie is completely distracted, heading inside. Laura heads home to wait till dark, after agreeing to pick up Eddie and bring him home, and Kate prepares to go to the bank. But first she wants to make one final sweep of the house. That's when she comes across her all-too-chipper daughter, who is all-too-willing to do chores. Clearly there's a catch. Apparently there's a surf club barbecue that afternoon, and Allie wants to go. Mindy will be there, and some of the other cheerleaders... Troy, but it's not a date, she swears, as she's been told she has to be 16 to date. There will even be chaperones, like Mr. Long, and Kate can come for the practice part if she wants. She can see Troy, not necessarily meet, but see. (laughs) Okay, fine. If Allie cleans her bathroom, does the laundry, and cleans her room, she can go. A decision that makes Kate the best. Laura brings Eddie back, and Kate asks him if he's found anything. Nothing, except maybe his appetite, as he asks Kate if she has any mini corn dogs left. You know, the ones (laughs) Timmy had the other day. We always have mini corn dogs in our house. Ah, I love mini corn dogs. She says she can heat some up. And while they're looking, she begins to make a list of the errands she has to run. There's the bank, obviously, then the grocery store. Timmy needs some new clothes, not to mention she could use something new for the museum gala. Plus, she feels like splurging. Their income isn't much, but the demon, but being a demon hunter again means she's back on Forza's payroll. Well, look at that. At least the Vatican pays people. I know. I know. Take they have a cancel. I know. Yes. Giles deserves a raise for all the shit he had to put up with. Right. Well, I mean, they pay their watchers, but they don't pay the Slayer because they feel like they own the Slayer. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I don't even feel like that's an excuse because you don't get much more like old white men than the Vatican. And if they can pay people. Why can't the watchers? Why can't the watchers council? Goddamn. Take note, people. (laughs) It's not a ton of money, and she mostly intends to put it away for the kids, but a few hundred taken from the account won't matter. And no, Stuart won't be suspicious, as he has no idea what anything fashion-related costs. (laughs) Getting ready to leave the house, she finds Eddie asleep and Timmy supposedly missing. It takes a few callings of his name and the threat of no more TV before he answers. Seems he's upstairs and he's gotten into Kate's makeup. She resigns herself to the fact (laughs) she's going to have to take Timmy along with her, as Allie will be gone before she returns and Eddie is napping, cleans him up, and heads out to the car only to come immediately back in as she has to locate Boo Bear. Boo Bear located there on their way to infinity and beyond, according to Timmy. Oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. I'm so lucky. Like the tadpole never got into my makeup. I was lucky with, I was, I was lucky with the tadpole. He, he was pretty good as a kid, not getting into things that he shouldn't. My nephew has gotten into makeup and smeared it all over him and the entirety of the office upstairs. Yeah, no, I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah, he's a, mm-hmm. I think oh, yeah. he's a demon. He might be, yeah. No, I think my youngest, my youngest nephew might be a demon too. So, yeah. 
The first bank Kate tries is her own, even though she knows it's a long shot. After all, she and Stuart have a safety deposit box, and its key looks nothing like the small silver one delivered to her. And she's right. When she goes to the bank, they tell her it's not one of theirs, but they can ask around. No, no, that's all right. As she's leaving... Timmy happily sucking on the lollipop given to him by the nice people at the desk. She runs into Cutter, who's been there filling out forms. His landlord is looking to sell, which means he either needs to buy the dojo or move. Kate's really hoping he doesn't have to move, as the dojo is literally at the entrance to their neighborhood. And next to a 7-Eleven. She can get in a workout <laughs> and pick up milk and bread. It's perfect. And a Kate slushy. tells him she hopes... What? And a Slurpee. And a Slurpee. I would be in the Slurpee. Kate tells him she hopes he finds the right bank, and he says same to her, admitting that he overheard her conversation. You know, it's not too often people going around trying to match safe deposit box mysterious keys. She stops him, and he says you can't blame a guy for trying. One day he is going to find out her secrets. And one day he might. Kate knows Cutter knows something is up. He's known since the day she walked into his dojo. And he's been very good about not pressing it. But right now is not the time. She is shady. She is. She then asks if Kate is still looking for a sparring partner as she's learning to anticipate all of Cutter's moves and some new blood would be good. She is, yeah, why? Well, he thinks he might have found someone. Let him just meet with him again and maybe they can set something up. Kate looks at the time and says she needs to get going, secret mission and all. That's when Cutter asks to see the key, telling Kate to try County Mutual, his bank. They're open till four, unlike all the other banks that close till three, and it's across the street from the McDonald's. The mention of which immediately sets Timmy off as he wants a happy meal and oh my God, that's a relatable moment. We went through this twice with my nephew on Friday. Like every time we saw McDonald's, we had chicken nuggets right now had to be had. Kate promises him a happy meal if he behaves at the bank. At County Mutual, she hands over the key saying she needs to access that box, but pretty much gearing up for not receiving any answers, especially if things are like they are in the movie with your name having to be on the account. Since you know, she has no idea who the box even belongs to. So imagine her surprise when they call up the file and identify her as Catherine Crow. Crow, her married name with Eric. For a moment, the room spins and Kate needs to recollect herself. She informs the nice bank worker that it's fine, but her husband passed, so it's Connor now. She also says she doesn't remember when they got the box. Something that catches the bank worker's attention, and so they ask to see ID. Does she have anything that identifies her as Catherine Crow? Actually, yeah, she does. She's never gotten rid of her old license. She shows it to the worker and they say that there's some paperwork Kate can file to get the box in the account moved into her name solely. Wait, what? There's an account? <laughs> yes. There is. It turns out one needs to be an account holder to have a box. Both the count and the box were initiated about a month before Eric died. And Kate's signature is on file. She guesses it's entirely possible Eric brought home something for her to sign and she didn't pay attention. I mean, he did take care of all the paperwork back then. I worked in a bank for years. And at that point, like, I don't know what it is now. But at that point, you could just get a card like if the person couldn't make it into the bank you could get a card to take home to them and they just sign it and they put your signature on file so that's probably what she yeah, just I didn't think in realize the book she does mention something like yeah. eric could have brought home the card yeah yeah kate's asked if she'd like to open the box now and of course the answer is yes <laughs> Left alone in their little room, she looks at Timmy, who wonders if this is a present. No, she's pretty sure it's not. She opens the box and nothing, just a folded piece of paper. A letter from Eric. It's both an apology and a clue. He was clearly looking into something around the time of his death, something that got him killed. Not due to a random mugging, but murder. Someone intentionally killed Eric and Kate had no clue. Now more tears. Timmy sees the tears forming in his mother's eyes and guessing she's sad climbs up on her lap to give her a kiss as kisses make everything better. They do. They definitely do. Kisses and hugs. 
The rest of the way home to me is perfect. Something Kate chalks up to the toddler being able to sense her mood. She can't believe Eric was murdered. She can't believe she never even suspected that would be the case. But why would she have? Aside from the fact he died, nothing about his death was suspicious. But then wasn't that enough? True, they weren't chaining every day, but Eric had hardly let his body go soft. How did a mugger get a jump on him anyway? For a moment, she wonders if the letter couldn't be fake. But no, too many phrases in the letter sound exactly like him, not to mention the handwriting. She'd still recognize it anywhere, even after all these years. It makes the letter feel almost like a silent accusation, a shout out to her failure. But she is going to fix that. She is going to find out what happened. Ignoring the rest of the errand, she heads home, basically on autopilot. In his letter, Eric had said to look to the best of them. And just what kind of Nancy Drew bullshit is that? (laughs) (laughs) On the table is a note. Stuart had come home, but he has to go back to work, meaning he was going to miss the barbecue. Whatever, whatever. Kate wants to be (laughs) mad. But at the same time, she's kind of relieved as she's deep in a wallow about Eric. And wallowing about the first husband in front of the second husband? Kind of a no-no. And especially when... Especially when there's mysterious circumstances with the death of the first husband now, and you can't really tell second husband what's going on. Yeah, it's a big mess. So yeah, maybe yeah. Stuart Stana works a good idea. Yeah, you know what? For once, it's a good thing he's not home. Not that she has a ton of time to wallow. She has a body to dispose of, childcare to find, <laughs> and a beach party to get to. Okay, maybe she doesn't have to get to the beach party, but really, how often is Allie going to extend this sort of invitation? As Laura has often been permitted, as Laura has also been permitted to go to the party by Mindy, Kate needs to find someone else to watch Timmy, as Eddie's tendencies to fall asleep mean he may not be the best option for solo childcare. Thankfully, another mom, one conveniently located down the street, is willing to help. Kate is so relieved, she agrees to attend a pampered chef party in return, even though she knows those products are both overpriced and will do nothing to help her cooking. Plus, you know, (laughs) ew, MLM. Yeah, no. No pyramid schemes. (sighs) That's another podcast. (laughs) That's another podcast. (laughs) Reminding Eddie to lock up and set the alarm if he goes for an evening walk, Kate, now joined by Laura, heads out to drop Timmy at Sylvia's and the body at the cathedral. If they time this right, they can make the beach party no problem. I think the bit where Laura and Kate and they're in the car thinking up all the ways they could embarrass the girls is just yes. utterly fantastic. Yes, I, I it, love it. It, it definitely like, <laughs> reminds me of something we would do. Like Kate and Laura's whole friendship reminds us yes. of like our little coterie. Like, oh, demons are real. You need help moving a body. Sure, I'll be right over. Yeah, no, like... Every like every interaction between just the two of them just reminds me of our group, like just getting more and more ridiculous. Like we've made up so many stories while we've been on our adventures. And yeah, it's so ridiculous. And I love it so much. (laughs) At the cathedral, they meet Father Ben around back, unloading the trunk and carrying the body down into the crypt where it will be housed alongside some of the priests buried there. Laura wonders if the priest wouldn't be upset knowing a body once percent was buried alongside them. I love Father Ben's answer. I love him. Yes. So it did surprise me that they never mentioned how like the body doesn't belong to the demon. The well, body they, just snuck in at the time of death. So like once well, the demon's did, gone. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they did mention they did mention that um, the, the next of kin are going to be left wondering what happens to the body. So they do kind of mention like the former owner. Right, but like Laura is acting like they're shoving like a demon carcass in there. They're not. I think they're Laura, shoving I think, a body of a... I think Laura is just so 
new to this whole situation. Yeah. That she's still thinking in terms of the body belonged to the demon. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. She is, she is coming in at the the end here. Yeah. Um, And I mean, but I do, I love father Ben's answer. And he says, when he learned of Kate's perfection profession and he was asked to service her alimentatory, he said yes, because it was a way in which he could make a real difference work to truly protect those he watched over. And he believes that these priests buried below the cathedral would feel the same way that taken care of. They bid farewell to father Ben and head to the beach. Kate reminding Laura of an earlier comment she made about having an exciting bra. Laura quickly undoes a button of her shirt showing Kate the red lace and satin. And Kate mentions that she really did come prepared to underwear surf. No, no, not really. It's all for Paul. Like maybe he's cheating. Maybe he's not. But even if he's totally faithful, all marriages can use some spicing up, right? No one wants to become too complacent. Which leads Kate to wonder if complacency isn't her and Stuart's problem. Have they had they become complacent? She and Eric never did, and and maybe that's not a fair comparison, but it's true. Of course, Eric also knew how, like, truly fragile and precious life was, and how any day they got to spend together was a gift. They had seen enough of their associates, their friends, die to know that. But then maybe it was Kate who had become complacent, and maybe that's why she never suspected foul play in Eric's death. Laura can tell she's losing Kate to some trail of thought, and so Kate tells Laura of the letter. Laura finds it suspicious that this shows up at the same time as the book and warns Kate not to let it distract her, because whatever she finds, it's not going to bring Eric back. But their kids, their kids are here and possibly in danger. Oh, Kate has no intention of letting any harm come to their kids. <laughs> oh, no. And lets Laura know that she does appreciate the reality check. They head along the boardwalk, watching the other couples win. They spot Paul, <laughs> Laura's Paul, having dinner with another woman when he's supposed to be out of town. Oh. Fucking Paul. Oh, Paul. Laura is such a delight. Laura is a delight. How do you cheat on Laura? I know. Like, and, and the thing is, it's like you even know that, you even figure that Paul was cheating. Oh, yeah, like but, that, that's obvious from like the first book is that Paul's yeah. like an asshole who's cheating but then on her. When but. You, but then when you actually see it, it's just like <sighs> fucking Paul. Fucking on Paul. One. We hate Paul. <sighs> Kate offers to do him in with an ice pick or, you know, go with Laura to talk to him. But Laura decides she is not going to waste this night on Paul. She'll talk to him when she gets home. Besides, they need to hurry or else there won't be any hot dogs left. Continuing their trek, Laura asks Kate what she thinks the demons want the book for. Who knows? Scrapbooking? Laura tells Kate, (laughs) as exciting as all this is, she really does miss the days when their greatest secret was who was taking their child's riddle in. (laughs) And who is scheming to get their kids into college? That's right. They come up on the beach and see David waving at them. He grabs two bottles from a cooler. And for a second, Kate is ready to be really mad. Is he about to pull out alcohol at a school function? (laughs) No, no, just seltzer. She takes a sip, relaxing. Ten minutes after they arrive, Allie brings Troy over. Kate has a short conversation with him, and judging by Allie's hug, she guesses she avoided being too embarrassing. Even after they walk away, Kate keeps watching Troy and Allie. From what she can see, Troy is completely adorable and appropriate with Allie. And while she's not backing down on the dating rule, she may consider letting Allie invite Troy to the house for a movie. With the entire family present. (laughs) She also notices how good David is with Allie and the kids. She asks Laura to start her research with him, find out who he is, how long he's been teaching, where he comes from, all that. He seems nice, but she has that nagging feeling that won't go away. I feel like somebody should have done that with Giles. Like I can, like I'm, I'm picturing David in like the Giles position. Like, oh just yeah, he's get totally in the Giles like, position. Like it would just be so funny. Like somebody on the outside needed to research him to see. <laughs> 
Like, who is this guy? Who is this Why guy? is he with the students? Why is he hanging out with this particular group of kids all the time? What is going on? Laura says she'll look into it, but for now, she's going to enjoy watching the surfers, including Cool, and get a Diet Coke. Does Kate want one? No, especially as she's realizing she really needs to pee. Heading off to the bathroom, she thinks about Cool, who also looks familiar. But that's not enough of a reason to be suspicious, right? She can't just be suspicious of everyone who seems a little bit familiar. Yes, you can. Coming out of the restroom... She's still distracted, but not so distracted that she doesn't notice the bright green jumpsuit of the nearby janitor, one who lashes out to attack as soon as she's near. Dropping into a fighting stance, she recognizes the uniform is belonging to the high school. And since she's fairly certain the janitor isn't hunting her down due to the mess in the basement, she accurately figures him to be a demon. The fight is brutal, dirty. Kate is pissed. She's been attacked at the school, in her <laughs> home, and now they're making her late for the only date her daughter might invite her on. <laughs> He's so ready to kick ass. The demon obviously wants the book. Kate says she burned it. It's in hell and he can join it there. She demands <laughs> to know... I love Kate so much. She demands to know why they want it, but the only response she gets is sand in her eyes. She braces, waits for the attack, but it doesn't come. The demon has fled, leaving the beach entirely. As he's away from the kids as well, she's content to let it go for now, heading back to Laura. Noticing her appearance, Laura wonders what's up, and Kate promises to tell her later. For now, she just wants to enjoy the rest of the evening. And she does, until they get home and find the door open and cop cars everywhere. Kate immediately calls for Timmy, wanting to know where he is. He's fine. He's playing detective with one of the young officers. (laughs) Turns out he and Sylvia came down when they saw the cop cars. According to the officers, there was a break-in occurring during the short time Eddie was out for his walk. Eddie, knowing that the kidlet is okay, her next thing is wanting to know where Eddie is. Sylvia tells Kate he's also fine and he's in the kitchen. Good, good. Someone should call Stuart. Sylvia says she tried, as did the detectives. (sighs) Both times the call went to voicemail. Stuart is getting well, deeper and deeper. He's just digging that hole. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 in it now. When Laura while Laura goes to check on Eddie, Kate learns a little bit more about the break-in. Funny thing is, nothing was taken. No electronics, nothing. It makes Sylvia and the cops wonder if it isn't politically motivated. Maybe someone who doesn't want Stuart running his campaign. It's an excuse Kate is certainly willing to latch onto. After everyone leaves, Kate goes to see Eddie, who is wondering why Kate even keeps him around. Clearly, he's no use. He can't, re- can't even remember to turn on the alarm. Kate tells him it was a mistake. They all make them, and they keep him around because they love him. Aww. In his frustration, Eddie breaks a mug, a noise that brings the kids running. Allie asks if she can break something, too, and Kate says, why not? <laughs> it might be teaching Timmy the wrong lesson, but tonight, tonight they can all break something. Everybody break a mug. Everybody break a mug, and then they'll have a sleepover in her room. All of them? No, not Eddie. Kate snores too much for him. And not Stuart. <laughs> oh, no. Not tonight. Oh, no, he's in the doghouse. Eddie shuffles off to bed just before Stuart comes home. Kate tells Allie to take Timmy upstairs and put on a movie as she does not anticipate this being pretty. Coming into the house, Stuart tries to offer Kate a carnation he found at 7-Eleven. Something meant to be cute, but tonight Kate's not having it. That would be cute, but... That would be cute, normally, but not tonight. And soon Stuart sees why, noticing the mess behind her. When he asks what's going on, she says maybe if he answered his phone, he'd know. That's when he says his phone died and he didn't have the charmer. Timmy, oh no! No, oh, no, 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 no. Kate is not letting him blame this on their son. They were robbed. Robbed. And nope. he wants to hand her some bullshit story about a charger? Ooh. R- robbed? He immediately wants to know where the kids are. Where are they? Kate tells him they're upstairs and they're fine. As she finally lets the fight and the adrenaline start to ebb out of her body, letting Stuart hold her. She just, there's a lot going on and she's <laughs> trying to handle it and he wasn't there. He feels awful, but he knew they were at the beach and so he didn't think it would be a big deal. 
Asking Kate if anything's wrong, she says she feels like he has a mistress. Only she's the one who needs to sneak in time with him. He says he knows it's hard and she's wonderful for putting up with him. He loves her. She loves him too, but tonight, he's sleeping on the couch. Heading upstairs, she wonders if she isn't being hypocritical. After all, she sneaks around fighting demons and Stuart has no clue, nor does she ever intend to tell him. Stuart's guilt from the night before means another morning of pancakes. This time, <laughs> chocolate chip. It also means Stuart willingly offers to go to mass without Kate having to cajole him. Oh. Kate is ready to add some furniture shopping onto that, but Stuart was thinking they'd take two cars to mass as he has some work to do before the gala that night. Oh, oh he's going to be doing more work? He's going to be doing more work. More work. I feel like something just attacked my window, but okay. (laughs) This doesn't thrill Kate, but she lets it go, telling Stuart not to be surprised if he returns home to a new couch. (laughs) They attend mass only to find Father Ben isn't there. When Kate questions the church secretary about it, she says he went down to Los Angeles to look into some archives. About what, though, she doesn't know. Stuart heads into the office, promising to be home by seven, and Kate heads to the mall, promising Allie a new outfit if she looks after Timmy, so Kate can go look at couches and get herself a new dress for the gala. A new dress, which she decides will not be paid for by her Forza money, (laughs) instead will be paid for by her credit card with Stuart. She decided that about the time he said he wasn't going to show for the barbecue. When he wasn't there at the time of the robbery, she added shoes. (laughs) I love that level of petty. That That is is like the best (laughs) level of petty. Yeah. While the outfit shopping is a success, the furniture shopping isn't. Everything at the mall is a bit over their price range considering how, for at least two more years, it will have covers thrown over them because of Timmy. Meeting back up with Allie, she sees what the two of them bought before heading to some of the standalone furniture stores. After that, it's McDonald's and back home. She does notice that after McDonald's, Allie seems a bit moody, but she just chalks it up to her being hungry and possibly tired from a morning of playing babysitter. They clean for a bit, once home, trying to make headway on the disaster left by the intruder, but then head out for ice cream with Laura and Mindy. Afterwards, both Timmy and Allie get dropped off at Laura's, and while she didn't tell Allie of the plan beforehand, she didn't get any argument. Not that she expected to after the break-in. Eddie, however, is staying home and will kick the ass of any demon that tries to cross the threshold. Good job, Eddie. Good, good job, Eddie. Kate then starts to get ready, slipping into her new clothes and doing her hair and makeup. She ends up ready to go with 15 minutes to spare. Sitting down on the couch to wait, she flips through the channels before realizing there was nothing she wanted to watch and turning the TV back off, pulling out the letter from Eric. She knows it's not fair comparing her marriages, but she does it anyway and has done it several times. And each time she does it, one thing stands out. Eric knew her, knew her secrets, and it made her put that marriage up on a bit of a pedestal, a level of perfection her second one could never achieve. Unfair, yes, but she can't help it. Only now she's wondering if she was wrong. She always thought she and Eric had no secrets. But the account, the lockbox, had Eric died because of a secret, one he had been keeping from her? And if he had just told her, asked for help, would he still be alive today? We jumped to Stuart and Kate at the museum, and Stuart telling Kate for the fourth time that night she looked stunning. (laughs) Of course, she doesn't think Stuart it looks too shabby himself as he does clean up pretty nicely the moment makes kate laugh and she remembers when she and Stuart started dating how he loved making her laugh and surprising her with trips down the coast and she remembers him asking Allie for permission to marry Aww, her that's so it's cute. a memory that makes her tear up a little Stuart thanks her again for putting up with it all she's never asked to be a politician's wife she tells him she loves him she married him and this is all part of the package she also hopes that if her secret is ever to come to light that Stuart would be just as understanding 
scene. The party is fabulous, and Kate loves that Tabitha has opened the museum to all the guests, letting them wander the exhibits at will. Kate's a big fan of the museum, having walked it while pregnant with Timmy, and again while trying to lose the baby weight. She even takes Timmy now to see the fossils and other natural history exhibits. As she wanders, though, she is hyper aware of everyone around her. Something about being attacked by a demon, especially in uniform, the day before will do that to you. She enters a room where there is only one thing on display, encased in a glass case and lit by a black light. Coming closer, Kate sees that it's a large stone tablet covered in geometric shapes. That's triangles, not shady at all. Right? Triangles, <laughs> squares, drawn so they're on top of one another, bisecting one another. Didn't the book have a triangle? on its cover. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure the fact that this lone artifact is very dramatically on display (laughs) should clue us all in that it's in fact kind of important. Yeah, yeah. Weird, weird Macedonian tablet with designs on it. Oh, yeah, I think that's going to be important later. That according to the pamphlet, dates back to a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Hmm. Hmm. Sitting down, she takes off her shoes for a moment, because new shoes, ouch. And she's massaging the balls of her feet when she notices someone in the doorway. Cool. The surfer. It then clicks that this is where she recognizes him from. She's seen him around the museum. Not quite where one would expect to find a professional surfer, but okay. Slipping her shoes back on, she decides to go make some polite conversation. But it's too late. He's gone. She decides to just move on to the next room where the light is better and the object's more recognizable. To the point where she doesn't even need a pamphlet. She also calls Laura to check in on the kids. They're fine. Timmy's even already asleep. Laura offers to keep them for the night and Kate agrees. Moving a toddler who's fallen asleep is risky. And if Timmy wakes up, he'll never... Never go back down. Yep. She wanders for a bit more until Stuart finds her ready to go. He says he's schmoozed, he's played the politician, and now he's ready to play the husband. Hearing that, Kate is more than ready to head home. The next morning, she's over at Laura's bright and early. <laughs> Claiming Timmy, she takes him to daycare and then heads right back. Amazing what a night of child-free lovemaking can do to one's mood <laughs> and productivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have one problem with the daycare thing. Okay. I have never seen a daycare where you can just drop the kid off whenever you want. I mean, granted, I don't live in Southern California where things are weird, but like Um, my daycare, you had to do three days a week to be guaranteed a spot. So I think I've seen some around here that you can do that, but you're still basically charged if you don't take the kid in. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to, like you're charged a base amount. Like, yeah, but yeah. (laughs) I know, I, I know. It's just as a like being a parent, like <laughs> there's little things like that that I pick about. Yeah. No, it's it's fair. I wish um. I could just leave the kids somewhere. Foggy. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. I love him. I love him, but I wish there would just be like, you know what? I need to get rid of him for today. I am gonna leave him here. No, I have a great support system, so I basically can do that. <laughs> Speaking of moods, Laura mentions Allie was still in one that night, barely speaking to her and Mindy. Kate can understand the not speaking to Laura. That's like not speaking to her. But not speaking to Mindy? Something was wrong. Or maybe not. It's hard to tell teenagers. Laura asked if Kate got her message and Kate admits she didn't check the machine after getting home, having taken a page out of Laura's playbook with the Victoria's Secret. Which reminds her, did Laura talk to Paul? She did, and he offered the information without even being asked. Turns out he came down to have dinner with a client who couldn't make the convention, only to have to turn around and go back. 
back. Lori's not 100% sure she believes him, but she's willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. But none of that is why Laura called Kate. She looked into David and what she found was a newspaper article dated several months earlier. Turns out there was a nasty car accident. You know, the type no one is supposed to survive. Oh. Only someone did. A teacher at Coronado High School. One who suffered a busted kneecap and a broken tibia. David Long. Well, fuck. Immediately, Kate is calling Allie, trying to get through. She tries twice with no answer and is just about to go down to the school when Allie calls her back. After learning that Timmy is okay because Allie was afraid that was why her mom was calling, Allie tries to figure out why her mother's being so weird. Like, what the fuck? Poor, I know, poor Allie. (laughs) Kate tries to figure out if Allie has anything that day where she crossed paths with David. No, and besides, she doesn't even think Mr. Long is at school. One of the kids said something about a substitute. She does have cheerleading practice, but she's thinking of skipping it. She is, but she never misses cheerleading. Is this about Troy? Clearly not wanting to answer, Allie just says she has to go. Satisfied that Allie is safe for now, Kate heads over to Coastal Mists. It's her normal volunteer day, and well, she wants to get a look at Sinclair's room. See if there's anything left behind that can point her in the right direction. She's told, however, that Sinclair's nephew came by to claim it all. His very handsome, famous nephew. Kate calls Laura, leaving her a message and asking her to look into their favorite local celebrity. And as soon as she hangs up, her phone rings. This time it's Cutter, who is calling for two reasons. One, he wants to know if his banking advice worked out. It did, but not enough to earn him her secret. And two, her new sparring partner will be at the dojo at four if she wants to come by. Seeing as she can't really say no, she heads over to find David Long. Immediately, Kate is ready to throw down. (laughs) This man is a demon and one who has gotten close to her daughter. Only, does she really want to throw down in front of Cutter? Cutter is a bit surprised the two know each other. Kate explains they're old friends before saying she's not sure she's comfortable fighting someone with a cane. David assures her the cane isn't a hindrance. He actually uses it for fighting. Fine, fine. Kate agrees. David promises to go easy on her. Kate does not promise the same. She's having a rough time. She needs to get out some of that aggression. And David is the perfect partner for it. They prepare to fight. Kate Torn, as she liked David, really liked him. But he's a demon and one that's gotten close (laughs) to her daughter, to Mindy. He had to go. As they take their place on the mat, David makes a series of motions that Kate has only known one person to make, Eric. And it stops her cold, distracts her, allows David to get the first blow in, laying her her flat before asking if she concedes. Concedes (laughs) to him. A demon. And not just that, but a demon mocking her with her first husband's moves. Oh, no. 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 She takes him down, attempting to choke him as she tosses holy water (laughs) in his face and nothing. Not a single sizzle. Whatever David Long was, he wasn't a demon, which meant for now she could cut him some slack. Picking Timmy up from daycare, she heads home to find Allie at the table crying. Concerned Kate asks what's going on. Is it Troy? Another boy? No, no, it's not a boy. Not really. It's her dad. Because in Allie's hand is a letter. From Eric. Allie demands to know what's going on. If something's going on that concerns her dad, then she deserves to know. First, Kate wants to see the letter, which appears to be a follow-up letter to the one Kate found in the safety deposit box. It tells Kate to go see their old friend, the one from their Los Angeles days. Kate wants to know where Allie found this, but Allie isn't talking, at least not right away. She wants to know what this is all about. Knowing there's no way to hide it all, Kate tells her that she's beginning to suspect Eric was murdered, and that she thinks the key was left for her so she would find the letters and figure out what happened. She asks Allie if she's seen the first letter, and Allie admits she had that she saw it in her purse at McDonald's. So Allie saw the first letter and then found the second letter. 
where? In her baby box, as Eric's clue, the best of us, referred to Allie, that being what he called her. Allie found the letter wrapped around one of the candles in there. She wants to know where they're going to Los Angeles. Kate (laughs) says they're not. She is. As Allie has this thing called school. Allie says she's ahead in all her classes, and Kate's not entirely sure she believes that. She once again tries to press the school issue when Allie says she's starting to forget him, her dad. After that, even though Kate is concerned Father Oliver, the friend in question, might say something, she knows she can't leave Allie behind. And if Allie found out the truth, well, so be it. Big deal. The next morning, Allie is up before everyone and rushing <laughs> Kate out the door to the point where they have to sit in the parking lot and wait for Jimmy's Timmy's daycare to open up. It makes Kate wonder why Allie can't do this on days she goes into school. <laughs> a quick stop at McDonald's and they're on their way. On the way there, they talk about a lot of things. Boys, dating, how Mindy is afraid her parents are getting a divorce, how Kate and Stuart seem to be arguing a lot. Kate assures Allie they're fine, that she and Stuart love each other very much, and that divorce was nowhere on the horizon. Secretly, though, she does wonder if that's true. (laughs) Allie also asks about her dad, if her mom is mad at him for having these secrets. And yeah, she's a bit miffed, but she's not (laughs) going to tell Allie that, no matter how smart and intuitive questions she asks. Allie asks when Kate and Eric met, 13, and if it was love at first sight. Yes and no. He always said it was, but Kate had her doubts. She knew how displeased he was to be paired with her as a partner at first. Kate then reminds Allie that their situation was unique. Growing up at the orphanage, it wasn't like it is for her. She doesn't have to end up with the person she meets at 14. Kate then asks about Troy and suggests that maybe, if Allie wants, she can invite him to dinner one night. Discussion of Troy... Of course, leads to discussion of the surf team and Cool, who Kate is not about hanging around her daughter. No. Even without him being shady, he's just too shady. Not now that she's suspicious of him, but she asks if he's always around the planning meetings and Allie says no, just at the beach. And he's not the only chaperone. Mr. Long is there too. Well, that makes Kate feel a bit better. Arriving at the church in Los Angeles, they learned Father Oliver passed away. Kate wonders if he left anything behind. Any notes, perhaps? Alas, no, but one of the priests there, Father Carey, says he enjoyed speaking with Kate's husband whenever he came down to visit Father Oliver. He used to visit once a month, sometimes less frequently, but usually about that. Kate wonders if he knows what Father Oliver and Eric talked about, but Father Carey says he does not, and that their conversations were not anything worth reporting. So that's it then. A dead end. We do learn through Kate's thoughts that Father Oliver was someone they looked to a lot during their time in LA. Someone who understood their life, but they could still just be normal with, meeting for hot dogs, talking about life in general, never about demons. Kate thought they fell out of touch following the move to San Diablo, but it seems that wasn't the case. The news delivered by Father Carrie leaves Kate out of sorts and she decides a little retail therapy is in order. Her and Allie taking advantage of being in LA to go on a Christmas present buying shopping spray. Delighted with their purchases, they head back home only to find a sick Timmy. Passed out from the meds, already asleep. Kate feels a bit guilty about having been unreachable. But really, with all the time Stuart's been away, him being the main parent on call today wasn't the worst thing ever. She asks where Eddie is, and Stuart says he took off a while ago saying he was going to take in some of the Christmas movie marathon at the theater. Kate highly doubts that's where he is and figures he must be with Father Ben. Leaving Timmy to sleep, they find they then find Allie on the phone. Apparently, one of the teachers at school was in a horrific boating accident, and they found him half-drowned around lunchtime. Great. <laughs> Looks like Kate is going demon hunting, or at least she should be demon hunting. Stuart seems to have other plans, attempting to usher Kate up to the bedroom. Apparently, her plan to find the newly made demon will have to wait. She manages to sneak away a few hours later, after first going to the attic and her secret trunk, to retrieve her leather jacket and stiletto blade, the one Eric gave her for their third anniversary. I love the fact Kate made yeah. the jacket. Yeah. 
Like, she had a few attempts at sewing. One was Allie's christening gown, and they ended up having to buy one. But apparently the jacket was successful. Yeah, no, I like, I love the idea of the jacket. Plus, I love the idea of demon hunters giving each other weapons. Yes! For, for anniversary presents. She's not exactly sure where a newly minted demon would go, but she does have a pretty good guess. Coastal mists. Heading in that direction, she's just beginning to snoop about the grounds when she ends up with a knife to her throat. This time it's three against one. Cool, the janitor from the beach, and another she can't yet see. Again, they want to know where the book is. Kate refuses to tell them, reminding Cool, who seems to be the man in charge, that if they kill her, they'll never find out. This enrages Cool, who actually lets the human facade drop, showing his true nature. One horrifying enough that even the demon holding the knife to Kate's throat is taken aback. At least this gives Kate, at least this gives Kate a chance to break three, free, and to see her attacker was in fact the English teacher. Not all that surprising, really. The janitor goes for her and they fight, Kate eventually doing him in with the blade tucked into her jacket. By the time she stands, the others are gone. She's not surprised Cool fled, as the demon ki- as a demon killed when in its true form is dead dead. A demon killed while in human form can potentially find another host. She is surprised the English teacher is gone, but what can she do? Right now, she has a body to dispose of. <laughs> Thankfully, Coastal Mists sits up on a cliff, so all she has to do is roll him 20 feet and let him fall. <laughs> The ocean and the wildlife will do the rest. Gruesome, but true. Sneaking back into the darkened house, Kate slides into bed, closing her eyes only to have Stuart ask her if she had a nice time. He knows she left and he knows it's not the first time. What's going on? Is it that guy from the karate place? (laughs) Kate can't believe he thinks she's having an affair. And while she would prefer to have this conversation in the morning... Once she's had time to think of a proper excuse, she can see that's not going to be an option. So she tells Stuart she's been going out on drives, clearing her head and calming herself down so she doesn't let the frustration about his absence get the best of her and they end up fighting in front of the kids. It's a move that has him apologizing, asking what he can do. She says being home for dinner every once in a while would be good and advanced notice on parties and other occasions that involve dressing up. He promises to try and since his alarm is going to go off in about an hour, they decide there's no use going back to sleep and instead opt for sex. <laughs> so the framing of Kate and Stuart's relationship in this book is brilliant. And I know it's because of like what's about to come. Yeah. But like the back and forth between their like cute moments and this wonderful romance and then their frustrations at each other uh, by the divide being caused by their two worlds. It's just it's so good. Yeah. And I love like she's not completely resentful of him. He mm. is not serious about, you know, like he suggested Cutter, but like they both understand that there is something else that's going on. And, you know, learning about a secret like Kate has in this kind of world is not an easy thing. You know, it's not as simple as, you know, I'm hiding this thing over here, whatever. I can't come up with anything clever. So like... (laughs) Insert witty comment here. I <laughs> Look, sometimes sometimes I can be clever. Sometimes I have a brain fart. But yeah, like it's it's not going to be an easy reveal and you know eventually it's going to be revealed. Yeah, it's going to have to. You you can't go on forever like this. Yeah, yeah. Like even like we see in Buffy, like keeping everything a secret it's not going to stay a secret for long. Like more and more people eventually find out. As Allie gets ready to leave for school, Kate again begins asking about Cool, wanting to know for sure that he never goes to the school. Allie kind of brushes her off as she has to get out to carpool, causing Kate to call and ask her again. 
Allie wants to know what her mom's hang up with cool is. And Kate says she's heard some things that he's kind of a sleaze. Allie doesn't think that tracks. If he was a sleaze, wouldn't he be dating some bikini wearing beach bunny or at least sleeping with a ton of them? He has a steady girlfriend, kind of shy, but cute. She works as a docent in the museum. So see, what she heard has to be wrong. Kate knows it's not, but still, she lets Allie go, turning her attention to Timmy. Laura eventually comes over, bringing her the dirt on cool. He was in a surf accident a month or so back, unresponsive. Hmm. But some lifeguards were able to save him with CPR, despite him being out for around eight minutes. Well... Now they know how long he's been a demon. Calling David, Kate asks if he has Cool's address on file somewhere. He asks why, wondering if Kate's in the market for a celebrity boy toy. (laughs) Something like that. He gives her the address and she hangs up as the furniture guys arrive with the new stuff. The rest of the night passes without incident, but Kate is anxious, ready to get back to work. The next morning, Kate drops Timmy off at daycare. It's finger painting day! Yay! Before heading home to get some coffee in her and go demon hunting. As she's drinking her coffee, she notices a story on the front page of the paper. One of the boys in the surf club, Jason Palmer, was found beaten to death. She no sooner finished reading it when Laura calls about the article. (laughs) It really does seem like everything is centered around the high school. But hey, at least the girls only have two more days and then they're home for winter break. Though Laura is seriously starting to consider Catholic school. Never mind that she and Mindy aren't Catholic. (laughs) Kate, on the other hand, is thinking of keeping Allie home from school the next day, home from the expo, and then home through most of winter break with lots of family time and crucifixes. She's about to hang up with Laura when the phone beeps, signaling an incoming call. It's Father Corletti. At this conversation, I just wanted to cry right along with Kate. Yeah. Both when she realizes who is on the phone and when she gets the news the father conveys. I just, I adore I the know. relationship she and Father Corletti have. It, it's right up there with like Giles and in, in, oh, in yeah, the Scoobies. Yeah. I love it. Father Corletti tells her how he's spoken to Father Ben, how the other priest has conveyed news of her trials. He wants to know if she's okay and if her family is. She is, but she's worried, scared, and she'd really like some more hunters to be deployed, (laughs) even though she knows that's not possible. And honestly, the problem isn't even manpower, it's information. They still have no idea what the demons of Tartarus want with the book. Whatever it is, Father Corletti says, if the book is the one they think it is, then the event to come will be most catastrophic. It should be noted, Father Corletti does not exaggerate. If he says they're in deep shit, they're in deep shit. Kate's about to hang up when she decides to tell Father Corletti about Eric, about how she's been thinking about him more, about the letter and the mysterious clues left behind. Father Corletti asks her what she wants to know, which means he knew what Eric was up to. Turns out Eric was talking to Father Oliver because he was considering becoming an alimentatore. What? Really? Why didn't Kate know about this? Why didn't Eric say anything to her? Father Corletti surmises that maybe it's because Eric had yet to make up his mind about going back and was just exploring the idea of it. Other than that, Father Corletti has no more information except to say that Eric loved her very much. He tells her she may want to talk to Father Donnelly. He was helping Eric and Father Oliver. Father Corletti puts her through, but Father Donnelly isn't there. Kate leaves no message, not wanting the priest to have time to prepare a response. She'll call another time, which we don't actually see her call again. No, no, she doesn't. I mean, I know this is probably a, like that. This is a thread that continues through the book, so we may we may get her talking to Father Donnelly in the next book. Yeah, yeah. But when but I she was definitely not my notes. Yeah, she definitely doesn't get back doesn't to it back. here. Yeah, I think to be fair, Kate's got a lot going on in this book. So Kate's got so much going on. She's like, you know what? This this talk with uh, Father Donnelly. Uh, this this can wait for a little bit. I I don't have to do this right this second. I've got other things to handle. She gets off the phone and Eddie notices she has something on her mind. That or she's constipated. (laughs) I love Eddie. (laughs) He's such a grandfather. (laughs) 
right? As Eddie is the closest thing she has to a father and she needs someone to cry to, she tells him about the call and about what Father Corletti said Eric was up to. Huh. Interesting. From what Eddie can remember, Father Donnelly was as crooked as they come. So if Eric was working with him, it couldn't have been anything good. Kate can't believe what she's hearing. How could Eddie say that? He didn't even know Eric. She lashes out and storms off to the bedroom, her mind reeling. She knew Eric, knew he was good. He never. A few moments later, Eddie and Laura come up to the bedroom, Eddie apologizing. Just because there's some bad blood between him and Father Donnelly doesn't mean Eric was up to no good. He's sorry. And Kate can hit him if he wants. <laughs> If she wants. <laughs> no, she'll save that for when he really deserves it. <laughs> Things have just about calmed down when the phone rings. Poor Kate. I know. Like, like every yeah. time she gets two minutes of calm, this phone rings. You know what? This reminds me of like all of our friends right now. Like once we get a yeah. moment, something else happens. Like we're we're <laughs> Jesus. I'm selling the universe. I told you the universe hates Kate as much as it hates us. I know. I know. And but I mean, at least the universe is uh, distributing it between. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. People. <laughs> it's David. Did she see the article about Jason Palmer? She did. Yeah. Well, he too thinks it's all connected. Jason, the janitor's basement, everything he wants to meet. While Kate figures he's not a demon, she's still unsure, and so she suggests the cathedral. Then leaving Timmy with Laura, she and Eddie head out. When David arrives, Kate, Eddie, and Father Ben are all waiting, right by the altar, the most holy place in the cathedral. David says he didn't realize they'd have company, and Kate says anything he told her, she was just going to tell them. So why not cut out the middleman? (laughs) David tells them how due to the surf cup jacket, he was brought in to identify Jason's body. And he noticed that when he saw them, there was a ring around his neck. Big, clunky, kind of like a class ring. It had celestial symbols on it. David tells him he knows this ring. They're dealing with Asmodeus. (laughs) Kate fixates on David, including himself on the team. (laughs) While Eddie and Father Ben are more concerned with the whole Asmodeus thing. I I love that. Kate's like, no, no. Kate's like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) But, But why does David know about demons? Exactly. Father Ben motions to the cathedral. David being able to enter should gain him their trust for now. So let's just let him help. (laughs) Turns out Asmodeus is a high demon and a nasty one. He's also a bit of a trickster giving his followers rings, rings that turn them invisible. That was the ring Jason had. Okay, but where did he get the ring? Can the book conjure it? No, not to Father Ben's knowledge. The book can only act as a communication tool and in some instances can conjure spirits, but never physical objects. Kate figures it must be cool. She saw him at Coastal Mist and he seemed pretty demony. And it would explain why the surf club was involved, especially as they find out Jason first brought cool into the fold. Leaving Eddie and Father Ben to do more research, Kate and David leave. Kate needs to rescue Laura from Timmy and David needs to get back to school. Kate tells him to get in her car. She needs answers, and so she's driving him. She also notices he looks a little green, but as they're outside the cathedral, she doesn't really know what to make of that. He says he's been fighting a cold. She says the cold is winning. (laughs) She wants to know why he called, why he knew to tell her about the ring. She wants to know why he knows all this, and he says he knows who she is. Catherine Connor, knee Andrews, once Crow, level four demon hunter. How? How does he know that? That's when he drops the bomb that he's a rogue hunter and he knew Eric. Kate's not sure on the rogue hunter bit. She's known rogues and they're not usually about respecting human life. In fact, a lot of the times they'll sacrifice humans for the greater good. The greater good. But his knowing Eric, he's the one that left her the key, isn't he? He is. Eric asked him to. He knows. He knows Eric. As we would say in Disney terms, he's friends with Eric. He's friends with Eric. (laughs) 
Okay, but why now? Why five years later? He says there were reasons and that while he may tell her one day, right now he's not keen on reliving those years, even for her. They arrive at the school right on time and David says he's going hunting for cool that night if she wants to join. Yeah, yeah, she'll be there. Of course, that night is the night Stuart decides to actually show for dinner. Of course. When Kate is on her way out the door to hunt for cool. Thankfully, Laura is there, as she was supposed to watch Timmy, and is able to cover for Kate, saying she needs her. The two head over to Laura's, and then using Laura's car, Kate sneaks away to meet David. The hunt is a bust. No cool to be found. But Kate does get some more Christmas shopping done, with David's help. (laughs) And the two manage to figure out that whatever's going on, it's happening at the expo, noon on Saturday. Which means they have a little less than 36 hours to save San Diablo, and possibly the world. But no pressure, right? Kate tries to keep Allie home the next day, but as the cheerleaders have this whole big thing going on in preparation of the expo, Allie is actually all about going to school. So once Allie's out the door, Kate drops Timmy off and decides to clean, to just get all her frustrations out by cleaning the house top to bottom. Eventually, Eddie awakens, and Kate asks what he learned the previous day. Nothing. That's what he learned. Thousands upon thousands of books in the archives, and not a word on the Malavanamanimanima. <laughs> I'm not even going to try it again. I just give up. I just give up. (laughs) On the demon struggle. (laughs) The demon struggle, yes. And also, why is none of this information on the internet? What? (laughs) Kate can't believe what she's hearing. Eddie is advocating for the internet. Is this about Allie and her constantly trying to bring him into the times? Or is this about the librarian he likes? Oh. Neither. He just thought it would be useful. He says Stuart mentioned she was out with Laura last night and is everything okay? Everything's fine. She was actually with David. Oh. <laughs> Eddie gives her a look and says she didn't want Stuart to know, huh? No, no, she did not because she was patrolling. He continues to tease and she tells him to stop it or she won't tell him what they learned. And it's about the surf expo, which Allie is supposed to be at. Now, does he want to take this seriously or does he just want to trust their girl will be okay? Eddie says to tell them everything. When they're done, Eddie confirms that it's David who told her all this. She says, yes, he provided the information and they figured it out. Why? Because there's something about David. Kay keeps saying he reminds her of Eric. Could he be playing on that? Trying to gain her sympathy for something? For what? They proved he wasn't a demon. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's human. A lot of things aren't demons. Like a displaced soul. Wait, is Eddie suggesting Eric came back? That somehow his soul is now in David's body? That's what no. it sounds like. No, that's impossible. Eric would ne- ne- Eric would never. Does she know that? Really know that? <laughs> because she doesn't know what Eric was up to when he died. How many secrets does he have? Kate is stunned. Could it be? Could David really be Eric? The phone rings once again. Never good news, this phone. No, no. Time to turn the phone off. It's David. Asking if she can come to the school. It looks like their new demon friend, the English teacher, is preparing to leave. And if she gets there soon, she might be able to trail him. She's on her way. Or not. Opening the door, she sees a teary red-faced Laura. Paul filed for divorce. Fuck it, Paul. Looks like the demons. Fuck Paul so much. Looks like the demons will have to wait. She's needed there. That afternoon, she heads to the JoJo for a sparring session. Surprised to see Allie there. It's not her usual day. And that means she's been sneaking in some extra practice sessions with Cutter. She's both intrigued and a little proud. When her kid commits to something, she sticks to it. David asks how it went with the demon. And Katie says she didn't go. That something came up and someone else needed her more. David seems almost amused that she passed on hunting to help out a friend. I love that. I love that. I love that she prioritized Laura. She's like, fuck this demon. We can deal with it later. My best friend is going through a divorce and I am going to deal with this now. 
And like the thing is, it's like she could have told Laura, I have to go hunt a demon. And like Laura would understand. Yeah. Laura needed her. Laura needed her. And I love that. (sighs) He tells her she has a good heart. And he calls her Katiekins. Oh. She's startled. What did he say? He said he called her Kate. No. No. No, he did not. Nope. He called her Katiekins. Only Eric ever called her that. And usually to rile her up. <laughs> he says maybe Eric told him about it. It does seem to roll off the tongue. Kate doesn't know what to say or what to do. She's frustrated. Because what? <laughs> does she expect him to come out and say it? Poor Tell Kate. her he's Eric, that he's come back. And if he did come back, is he really the same person he was? She does know something that could shed some light on the subject. A fight. She knows Eric's moves. Knows how he fought. A real fight. No holding back. will tell her. She tries to send Allie home or put it off. But Cutter brings up that Allie has seen her fight before. It's not that big a deal. And Kate has to admit he's right. There's no reason for Allie to not be there. And it's not like she ever saw her dad in action. It won't trigger any memory for her. Not like it will for Kate. They spar, this time without the cane. And Kate takes note of every move David makes. She's seen them all and not just in the dojo. The man circling the mat, the one across from her, he moves exactly like Eric. But there's one final test. (laughs) Something only Eric would know. I love this. A move they know. I just, I want to get to the end. Oh my God, you got to do this part first. I know, I know, I know. Uh, The Hail Mary, where Eric would throw her up, allowing her to attack from above. She yells out the name before running at David and barreling right into him. Guess he isn't Eric after all. Kate gets to her feet, trying to play it off. As David does his part, hinting that, don't Allie and Kate need to get home? Isn't this the night Troy is coming to dinner? Yes, yes it is. They head out. Kate drops Allie off at home so she can start getting ready. And she goes to get Timmy before heading to Laura's, beg her to come over and help. Which Laura is more than willing to do anything for a distraction. They check with Allie to make sure it's okay via teen girl laws for Mindy to be at dinner too. (laughs) And then all of them head over. While they're prepping dinner, Kate tells Laura her suspicions. And Laura says it could still be Eric. There could be parts of his memory missing or he could have just been surprised. A million reasons he fumbled that play. <laughs> I'm just imagining the image of that, of that whole scene with her I shouting know. Hail Mary and like <laughs> Bam! Bam! Right into him. <laughs> and David does spend a lot of time with Allie. If Eric came back, wouldn't he want to be around his daughter? And seeing as Kate's remarried, he might just keep it secret from her. Lots of secrets in this book. So many secrets. All the secrets. Allie gets ready after changing top several times and convincing Kate to let her wear just a touch of eyeshadow. Just this once. And she promises she won't ask again until she's 18. Kate knows that's a lie, but gives in anyway. Tonight's special. The stage is all set. The family's given their instructions. All there is to do is wait and wait and wait. Troy never shows. Allie is devastated and heads upstairs with Mindy in tow. When Kate goes up to deliver chocolates and offers some comfort, ensuring Allie that it is definitely not her and that any boy who would stand her up is a giant asshole, she learns from Allie that Troy's actually been a bit different lately, ever since he got one of the two captain's rings. What now? Who? What? Seems their suspicions were right on. Asmodeus is using the surf captains. With dinner a bus, Stuart decides to head into the office for a bit. But as he's about to leave, Father Ben shows up. Stuart then decides <laughs> that maybe he should stay. But Kate assures him, no, no, 
He doesn't have to. <laughs> Father Ben will understand. And if he goes tonight, it frees him up to spend time with Timmy tomorrow. I just love this whole thing. I know, like, I know. No, no. you leave. For once, he's like, like are we trying to get rid of me? Yeah, like, for once, no. for once, he's like, you know what? I'm going to stay and hang around. I don't have to go in the office right now. And everyone's like, no, out the door with you. <laughs> it's just it's so good and again that's something else that would just be so great visually yeah (laughs) eventually Stuart leaves and father ben gets to the reason he came over father corletti sent him some scans from the vatican it seems the ritual is to release the two imprisoned demons and that the demons here need two human servants two demons two servants when the demons are released the servants will take their place in hell okay but why would the servants volunteer for that chances are they didn't demons lie and have most likely told the kids they'll be immortal rich famous anything to ensure their cooperation it seems the ritual to do so involves various parts the book some drawn shapes and the lack of any one part could screw this whole thing up well then it's a good thing the book is safely tucked away in the cathedral throughout this whole conversation kate keeps hearing noise noise everyone keeps attributing to the cat but that she's unsure of it's not until like everyone except laura has left and she sees the back door slightly ajar that she realizes is what happened the sounds weren't the cat or demons it was invisible teenagers and now they know where the book is goddamn invisible teenagers she rushes to the cathedral but it's too late the book is gone and father ben has been attacked troy also seems to be missing the boy not answering his cell and his parents not answering at the house david who kate meets up with after the cathedral suspects troy will stay missing until the exhibition as they patrol a bit she asks him to tell her about eric to which he responds do you love your husband everything about this Uh... and the end of this book breaks my heart i know it hurts I so much. I both love and hate Julie Kenner for putting us and them I know, this. I know. It's so like, oh, it hurts. But it's so good. When she says yes without hesitation, he asks what the point is. Kate doesn't know. <laughs> That's the problem. She doesn't know, but she wishes she did. David tells oh. her Eric left her in Allie very much. And he'd be damn proud of the person Allie's become. Oh. I'm just going to be in the I corner know. crying about Kate and Eric for a while. <laughs> By the time Kate gets home, she just collapses into bed, only to be awoken a little later by Timmy, who wants Mommy to pick him up. Stuart arrives immediately, rescuing Kate and saying he is off to take Timmy to the zoo. Kate reminds him that she can't go to the zoo. There's the expo. And Stuart says, that's fine, because this is a boy's trip. God damn it, Stuart. Don't be (laughs) cute. I'm trying to be over here in my Team Eric corner with my little banner. And then Stuart's all like, we're going on a boy's trip to the zoo. And I'm like, God. I know. Like, you're, you're like, oh, he's spends all this time at the office he doesn't care about his family he does it he cares about his career and then he does a boys trip to the zoo <sighs> stupid Stuart. i know god damn it Stuart! stop being cute but i mean that's what's that's what's so good about these books because you're yeah. like ah, oh, and then you're like no but i like you too i oh. know <sighs> they leave and kate goes to deliver the bad news to Allie. she's not going to the expo what but she has to go everyone will think she's a flake kate doesn't care she'll get Allie a note She's not going. Allie goes back to bed to sulk and Kate gets ready to leave on errands. When she returns to Allie's room, the girl is just a lump in the bed and barely says a word to Kate. And I'm like, Kate, 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 you lived in dorms. Did none of you ever try to sneak out after curfew? 
Like, yeah. did you really not see what was going on here? I know. And like, again, Kate's got a lot on her mind. She does. She does. But like the whole, like that whole scene was just so funny too. Cause she keeps talking and like <laughs> the, like, I'm just imagining Mindy under the covers. <laughs> oh my God. I love Mindy. And then the little like thumbs up. Thumbs up sign. Sign. <laughs> I love, I just, ah. Oh. And like, I can see like after everything, like, Mindy's just being like, you owe me one for, for having to pretend to be you for your mom. Like, <laughs> She barely says a word to Kate. Kate then tells her that she's leaving, not to leave the house, and she'll see her in a bit. She then heads to the beach to meet up with David. Oddly enough, Cool seems to be missing, as does Troy and at least one of the other boys. Did they get this wrong? Because they can't afford to be wrong. Kate says hi to one of the other girls on the team, and the girl asks if she's looking for Allie. Oh, no, Allie's not there. What? No, yes, she is. She saw her with Troy about an hour ago. And from what it looked like, she was giving him a pretty big dressing down. God damn it. Allie snuck out. (laughs) Why of all days did she have to pick this day to rebel? And if the ritual isn't happening here, why risk coming here to take the girls? Oh, God. Nephilim. Weren't they the ones that... Yeah, no. Kate's not about to let her daughter become a single mother to a half-demon super baby. (laughs) They need to find them now. She and David are about to leave when Marissa runs up. Her daughter is missing, too. And the last she saw, she was with Allie. Kate tells her if they find Allie, they'll ask about her daughter, but she's sure she's fine. Spoiler alert, she is not. She's not fine. No. Poor girl. It's about then that Laura calls Kate, telling her what she already knows. (laughs) Mindy covered for Allie. They try to figure out. (laughs) Like, thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. We needed you to tell us that your daughter covered for her best friend. Yeah. (laughs) Kate's got a lot going on. (laughs) They try to figure out where the ritual is going down. And that's when Kate remembers what Allie said about Cool's girlfriend. She's a docent at the museum. They must be at the museum. David and Kate take off as Kate tells Laura to call Father Ben and Eddie and to tell them what's going on and to pray. So they show up at the museum and there are no cars in the parking lot. The doors are all locked. They're trying, they're like, the time's running thin here. So they're trying to figure <laughs> out how they're going to get in. And Kate just plows the car through the doors. <laughs> like Cordelia, like chase exactly, school yeah. problem solving. You know what? It solves a lot of problems. Just drive right in. Drive right in. So they jump out. They run into the room where the tablet was because, of course, of course, the big tablet on display by a, itself. It should have had a the big neon sign. Big neon sign that says "plot point here." And there's Allie and Marissa's daughter on the floor. The two boys behind them, their hands behind their back, holding them there as a ritual is starting. I don't know if this, this is the point where like the demon is coming up. Yes, the demon's the hand book. is coming it's- up. Yeah, 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 the the demon's demon's starting to crawl out. So Kate and David rush in, and the demons are like, we will kill the girls! And Kate's like, "Mm, no. No. And as all things do, a battle breaks out. And my favorite part of this whole battle is, I think, when Eddie shows up with the, the... the super Guns. soaker full of water. The super soaker full of yeah, holy cause, water. Because um, Kate brought some with her. Yeah, because what happened What happened was um, when they were in L.A., I think it was in L.A. or when they were shopping with Timmy. Um, I think it was when they were shopping with Timmy. With Timmy. Kate, um, Allie bought, the, bought, the super, bought a bunch of super soakers. And like the one that Eddie has 
is it a SpongeBob one that Eddie had that Eddie comes running in with? <laughs> no, I think they have the SpongeBob ones because I think she throws the SpongeBob one to David. Okay, all right, yeah, I knew and that there was. <laughs> Eddie comes with like the big super soaker yeah. at the end, and it's so good. But even better than the super soakers is um, at one point Kate turns to see look at David, and he's on the ground saying the hail Mary. Hail Mary. And she knows, she knows. So she runs and he catches her and he throws her up. (laughs) My heart just bursts. Because he knows the play. And I just, oh. Oh, I just like I you love tell, that moment. Because you could tell it took him by surprise the first time. Like when she yeah, it, like, wasn't expecting her to do that because he didn't know he wasn't because I mean, wasn't, why would he? Yeah, like because he didn't think that she knew yet. But then when he's down on the ground doing it, like he's like, OK, yes, this is the moment. So, of course, they stop Asmodeus and the other demons and they stop the ritual and everybody's fine. And Joanne doesn't really remember what she saw. And that's probably for the best. And and Kate says that happens a lot. Yeah. With civilians who experience demons that, you know, their their mind kind of covers for them. Kind of like it's a gang on PCP. Like they they come (laughs) up. With with a mundane way to explain this. And and Kate hopes that that stays with with Marissa's daughter. She also thinks that the debt she owed Marissa is more than paid. Uh, Yeah, yeah. She saved her daughter. Yeah, you don't owe Marissa anymore. In fact, I think Marissa owes her a lot more. Yeah, Marissa owes her a lot. Yeah, so the balance is... The balance is a little off. Standing around after and, and Allie is talking to David and... Kate's a little concerned, but Eddie assures her that whatever's going on, David's not going to tell Allie anything. And then Kate goes over to talk to David. And I just, I think I cried for like five minutes after this. Yeah, I was sitting at my desk. Because she asks about Hail Mary prep play and why this time he knew it and he says you know he feel like he says he blanked the first time yeah. but eric had told him about it and she just kind of stares at him and he asks why is there another answer you're expecting and uh, she says no because but what can she do like she needs to figure this out like she can't like what if it is eric what does yeah, that mean exactly. for her life now and and i just Oh, my heart breaks. I'm just sitting there yelling and say the thing. Yeah. Like, I just want him to tell her. I want her to ask. And it just. But yeah, it's like, it's like now her life is even more complicated. It was bad enough that she had all this other shit going on. And now that she finds out her husband died, but now his soul is in this body of this high school teacher. So what is she supposed to do with this information? She's not getting a break anytime soon. No, no. Especially because Allie does not have selective amnesia. No, no, she does not. And Allie has just put everything from the past few days together, kind of put it together with what happened over the summer. And she comes to her mom at the very end of the book and she says, "Ah, you know how we talked about secrets? (laughs) And Kate's like, yes, of course. She's like, I think you have some secrets. Yeah. And Kate's like, yes, yes, I do. And we end the book with Kate 
with 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 Allie telling Kate, I think it's time you tell me your secrets. And that's such a great ending. And, and I'm glad that she's going to finally get to be open with Allie. And, yeah. you know, we're going to start to see Allie grow knowing this knowledge. And I just, it's oh, just everything about this book is so good. Yeah. And now, like, now that, and I think, and Kate will feel better now that at least another person in her yeah, family knows. Like, and she can, and Allie will understand why Kate is the way Kate is. She'll understand what Kate has been doing. She'll understand why, you know, Allie is being made to learn self-defense yeah, it, and everything just in case she has to fight. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to improve their relationship. And yeah, it's, it's going to yeah. bring them closer. I mean, some stuff does happen down the road that throws even more wrenches into this. And I'm very <laughs> excited to get there. Um, like I said, I stopped reading at book four. So I think big, big wrenches come in the books that I haven't even read yet. So yeah, I'm very, I, very excited to get there. I am going on this journey fresh. So I know I'm so excited. Yeah, you're going on the journey fresh. I believe Jackie's going on the journey fresh. Hopefully most of our listeners are. Um, G did with me read the series the first time, but I think while I didn't finish it, she did. So the only ones that will be new for her are the book that just came out. And uh, there's actually another book coming out. So seven just came out and she's working on eight. Okay. So yeah, so we're still going. So we're gonna Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Be able to talk about this for a while. That's awesome. But yeah. Yes, yeah, so that is California Demon. Um, any final thoughts? I know we've like gushed about this book the entire I time. I know, no, and plus yeah, like, it it's so much fun. It is. It, it is really like I said, it has a balance of being a little silly, but you have the serious things happening, and I'm really interested in learning more about the universe that they exist in so that'll be fun to see yeah okay well that's just about it for this week thank you all for listening and make sure to join us next time for our season one debrief we'll go over some of the highs and lows of the season give out some stats and we'll even play a little buffy trivia oh that can't wait for next week that's gonna be so much fun I know. I'm super excited about it. So it'll be a great wrap up to the season. Yep. Until then, you can check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed below. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.